ACB, a longtime member of the uh, ACB Transportation Committee. I'm also a member of the uh, transit industry. I've been working in public transit for about 27 years. I hate to say that. Uh, I live down in <laughs> Phoenix. Yeah. And, um, and this topic is really exciting. Um, talking about autonomous vehicles, I could do this all day um, with anybody who would be willing to like talk and listen, but they did give us a time limit. So I'm going to just jump in and set the stage and then introduce our, our speakers. And we have some amazing speakers um, to talk about this topic and then uh, hopefully have some time to get into uh, questions for, uh, for those of you who are, who are listening and participating. Um, I think it was about 10 years ago, we started talking with an ACB about autonomous vehicles. And back at that time, at least to me, it seemed like science fiction. You know, the idea that you could get into a self-driving car and sit there and the car would just go where you wanted. Um, it seemed uh, far-fetched, uh, but autonomous vehicles are here. Uh, they, are, they are coming quickly. Uh, the companies who are manufacturing them are developing the technology. They are building vehicles. They are testing it. Uh, and in some cases, these vehicles are being deployed. So, so it, it's here. And at the same time that the vehicles are coming into existence, uh, regulators are starting to talk about how do we regulate this industry? Uh, how do we make sure uh, that it works for everybody? Uh, and that I think is where we come in, in in terms of speaking around the issues of folks with disabilities, people who are blind or visually impaired. It's really up to us to make sure working with the manufacturers and the regulators and other folks involved in the space uh, to make sure that these, these, this technology and these vehicles uh, work for us. The ACB has been involved with a number of efforts uh, by different manufacturers and by the, uh, by the industry as a whole to uh, bring accessibility into autonomous vehicles. And I think today is really a good opportunity to check in on this discussion uh, to uh, find out kind of what's happening. Yeah, how is it going? What are the challenges and where do we go from here? And we've got three uh, speakers who really are working in uh, directly in this space and in these issues. Uh, I'm going to introduce them quickly and let them kind of go from there. I'm going to introduce our speakers in the order that they are going to present. Uh, and then you know, we should have a little bit of time left over at the end uh, for comments, questions, and conversation. So I want to start with uh, George Ivanov. Uh, George is uh, the head of international policy at Waymo. And of course, Waymo is an autonomous technology driving, uh, uh, autonomous driving technology company. Um, George's role in the company is to work on key regulatory and, and policy uh, initiatives. Um, prior to taking on this, uh, prior, actually, George has been in this role ever since Waymo was founded in 2016. Uh, before that, he did similar work uh, for Google uh, in a number of policy areas uh, for Google. And uh, in addition, he has uh, managed, he emerged, managed emerging uh, technology uh, development for the uh, telecommunications industry uh, of uh, association. Um, he's also worked for the Center for Strategic uh, International Studies. Um, he has um, a number of degrees. He has a bachelor's and a master's from George Washington University, a Juris degree uh, from Santa Clara University, and he resides in the Bay Area. So we will hear from George in just a moment. Uh, in addition to George, we have Eric Danko. Um, Eric is the uh, director of federal, uh, 
affairs for Cruise, and Cruise is another uh, global leader in self-driving uh, vehicle technology. Um, and Eric's role is to represent Cruise before uh, federal uh, lawmakers, uh, regulators, and the broader Washington, D.C. community. Uh, before taking on this role, he led Cruise's national public relations efforts, which were really focused around uh, creating interest and support for autonomous technology and to have informed policy discussions around some of the topics in, in what we call the new mobility paradigm, which is kind of where autonomous vehicles land. Um, Eric has done a number of other things. He's been involved in uh, high profile uh, campaigns, legislative campaigns, public affairs, uh, and even electoral campaigns for more than a decade. Uh, he's a native of Chicago. He's got a bachelor's degree from the University of Rochester uh, and a, a master's degree from the London School of Economics. Uh, so, and then finally, and last but certainly not least, is David Furukawa. Um, David is the co-founder and chief experience officer uh, for a company called Foresight Augmented Reality, uh, FAR for short. And FAR is in the space of wayfinding and using technology to improve accessibility. Uh, David has 20 years of clinical experience as he's a, he is a retired uh, clinician at the Emory Eye Institute, uh, which is uh, part of Emory University in Atlanta. Uh, Dave has also done a lot of work in the community. He served as a board of trustee uh, for the Georgia Found, uh, Foundation Fighting Blindness. Um, he has served on the board uh, of the Center for Visual Impairment, and he organized the 2010 Atlanta Vision Walk. Um, Dave is accompanied, um, and I assume that this is true even virtually, the dog is hanging out, um, his guide dog, Samson. And David says that his perspective as a clinician and as a customer, person with a disability, uh, gives him a unique perspective on some of the issues that we all face every day. Um, so our folks are, are gonna go next. So I'm gonna turn it over to George and y'all can just go in turn and then we will come back and, and uh, have some conversation when you are finished. George. Thanks so much, Ron. I want to thank everybody for, for your time today. It's really a privilege and a pleasure mm -hmm. to be with CB today uh, for the session. So I'm excited to chat with you today about accessibility work at Waymo. This is something that's been going on for a long time and it's been a high priority from the very beginning. Um, as Ron mentioned, we're an autonomous driving technology company with a mission to make it safe and easy. And that's really been the same from the very beginning. Uh, from our start as a self-driving car project at Google in 2009, all the way to becoming a separate company in 2016. Today, we run an autonomous ride hailing service near Metro Phoenix, um, which began being tested in 2017 and began, became a fully commercial, fully autonomous service in 2020. It's in a 50 square mile area of the Metro Phoenix area where we've served thousands of trips to the general public, to riders of all different ages and different abilities. Recently, we started fully autonomous rider-only service, meaning that the service, the vehicle is responsible for the entire driving task. There's no human driver, there's no other passenger, there's no vehicle. On. And this really means that for any rider in the Metro Phoenix area, you can summon a ride with the Waymo One app and be the only person in the vehicle. Really something that uh, the community has discussed with our company for many, many years. And since we began the service, uh, initially in the test phase, one of the most critical things to us has been collecting rider feedback and identifying opportunities to improve the service for everybody. We particularly have wanted from the very beginning to understand how it can meet the needs of riders with disabilities. 
And to do that, we've done research at multiple levels with individuals with different levels of mobility needs. We've done analysis of how riders may use other modes of transport, ranging from TNC services to public transport, to really inform the kind of thinking that we did in the early years. We also offered test rides and run dedicated pilots with local groups for extended periods of time, encouraging really feedback from communities with different, including a pilot uh, with the local transit entity, Metro Phoenix Valley Metro. We've also interviewed a range of individuals over the years who have different needs to make sure that we are capable and building feature stock. And ultimately, we believe that that together has helped us and will continue to help us improve the service for all. Uh, in a minute, I'll just talk to you briefly through the different ways we're doing this today and how we're designing. But before I do that, I just wanted to stress two things very quick. One thing is that we know that at Waymo, our work on accessibility isn't done. Uh, we're still in the early days of this, despite being 11 years into the development of this technology. And we understand that the work, the service is a work in progress today. And that will be a work in progress going forward to meet the needs of our riders. We've heard very clearly from the community, loud and clear over the years, that there's nothing about us without us. We've heard that. We want to make sure that we're constantly engaging on this. It's a process. And it's an ongoing journey of collecting feedback and internalizing to make sure that we are improving. Also, I want to just point out that building for inclusive design at Waymo and having the features really is, is something that's key for the community um, and really for the audience that we're discussing this with today. But it's also something that we really think is uh, for everyone overall, and we see significant benefit to the features we're developing for accessibility needs for the broader rider base at Waymo. So this process for us begins with rider onboarding. This is really where accessibility begins to come into play. And at the rider onboarding phase, we need to make sure that from the very beginning, the experience is optimized from people. That's why we have screen reader features in place and app integrations for to make sure that riders have a clear understanding of how to take advantage of the key features. Uh, educating at the app level and at the user level on how to use those accessibility features is really key to making sure that we're matching the best capabilities of our service for the needs of the rider. Some of the key things that we're letting the riders know in the beginning is what to expect in the vehicle, how they'll have the vehicle to themselves, what to expect of the features that will be communicated in the vehicle, where to find certain features, for example, like Braille accessible mark. We also want to stress in the beginning what, what the service is optimized for and what to expect when the service is a normal operation or what to expect in other events that may happen like a collision. And finally, we want to make sure that once those features and once the expectations are set for the rider, they really know how to connect with the human being at the end of the day who's a member of our rider support team. These are customer service agents. They're at the push of a button, able to assist every rider, but to make sure those agents are able to assist riders who are blind and low vision with their specific needs. So at the starting phase, once you're onboarded and once that's complete, you can request a ride through the Waymo app. But when requesting the ride through the Waymo app, we have a feature specifically dedicated to minimize walking time. And it's a feature designed for users with disabilities in mind, and it's one that really ended up being valuable for everyone. Here's how it works. Sometimes our vehicles have to make trade-offs in terms of giving riders more walking time, but a shorter overall trip journey. So for example, if a Waymo vehicle needs to circle the block to pick up a passenger, it may instead decide to stop on the opposite side of the street to limit the time to pick up. This behavior may have a disproportionate and negative impact on users with mobility or vision impairments. And these users may instead request that the Waymo vehicle circle the block so the user doesn't need to cross the street and they can do that with this dedicated. And for example, we provide pickup and drop off warnings with this feature enabled 
for long walks before the trip is ordered, which allows riders to change their plans before the trip is ordered so they can decide to decline the ride if it doesn't work and to make sure that it's showing up on the appropriate side of the street. This also extends to vehicle assignment and making sure that the rider knows if for whatever reason the vehicle cannot be assigned to complete that that vehicle will. Once a vehicle arrives, we make sure that there's appropriate identification. And we've implemented something we call vehicle ID, which really helps riders uh, with lower vision who can see color, a few bright letters from far away displayed in the dashboard of the vehicle with their initials. This is a two digit personal ID representation on an LED screen in front of the car, which can be customized by color. And one that we again have found is also useful for all riders. We initially have included horn honking. This is a feature that was designed for blind individuals by an engineer uh, who's worked with our team who himself is blind. And it's, it's a feature that was implemented a number of years ago, but we found once again is extremely useful to find the vehicle uh, when wayfinding alone is insufficient. And the rider support level for customer support once a passenger's in the vehicle. I mentioned that we've, we've trained individuals to make sure that they're ready to assist. And that really means assisting users with text-based chat support, assisting users who are hearing impaired with, with different support methods when possible, and using GPS-enabled tools when possible to speak with a rider and give directions in advance to help uh, the rider find the vehicle. Once taking a ride, we have verbose audio cues, which are enabled as some of our accessibility features. These are features for assistive audio. They really provide visually impaired riders more context around what's happening. What is the vehicle seeing? Why is it stopping up ahead? Why is it staying or maybe taking a little bit longer at a certain intersection? And really giving contextual information that normally would be available just on the screen of the vehicle years ago only was. Really made available through audio cues throughout the trip and built for inclusive. We've also extended features all the way to trip interruptions. So if there's ever any interruption in a vehicle trip, including for example, if the vehicle involved in a collision, making sure the passenger knows what, what to expect and that a Waymo roadside assistance team member will be on site to assist in that situation. And lastly, finding a destination at drop-off is a key area that we're continuing to build out and work on. And this really brings me to one, one point about what we're working on. And, uh, we have the great privilege of participating in the USDOT Inclusive Design Challenge and being selected recently as a semifinalist in that program, we really identified that it's provided us with an opportunity to really showcase some of the work that we have that's coming up that we'd like to continue working on and continue building out because these features really are not going to be the be all end all. So a couple of areas that, that I wanted to talk with you all today as part of the Inclusive Design Challenge where we expect development will continue and some of the, the final prototypes presented through 2022, here are some of the features that we plan to be contributing and we're developing for that challenge. One, adaptive app navigation to help riders understand the distance and the direction of the car using visual, audio, and haptic cues in the app. Two, purpose-built car sounds. Uh, this would let the vehicle play more euphonious sounds designed to explicitly for wayfinding in addition to just a honking feature. Three, uh, locating the vehicle with lights, using the vehicle's headlights to help riders wayfind to the vehicle using, using that set of lighting. Four, hands-free vehicle communications. So instead of a rider waiting uh, to press a button in the app and wayfind their way through maps of the vehicle, we're evaluating options to proactively reach out to the rider in advance of the trip uh, to, help, uh, to help determine how to best get to the vehicle.
And lastly, video chat support. Empowering writers support agents on our side to video chat with writers using their phones and the phone's camera to provide wayfinding support. And I'll close in a, just a couple of seconds, but I wanted to briefly call out that we can't really do this work and advance all, all of this development without the work of our partners. Uh, that's ranged from the broader community and the ACB, and it's extended all the way down to local partners in the Metro Phoenix area, including the Foundation for Blind Children, the Foundation for Senior Living, and a number of other local community organizations that have been critical to the development of this and the implementation of these features and practice today for our writer base. And with that, I want to thank you for your time. We look forward to the discussion. All right, I think that's my cue. Uh, hey, everyone, it's nice to, to be with you. Uh, Ron, thanks for the for the introduction and really just echo a, a ton of the sentiment that that you shared at the top. Um, but first, before anything, I really want to thank you. I want to thank ACB for having me. Uh, it's really a pleasure to, to be with you today, though I wish like last year, I wish we could have been together in person and I and certainly look forward to that again, uh, hopefully next year. Uh, as Ron said, uh, my name is Eric Danko. I lead federal affairs for Cruise. Uh, if you're not familiar with Cruise, we're a self-driving vehicle company founded in 2013, and we're focused on improving life in cities through safer, more sustainable, and more accessible transportation. We have a deep partnership with both General Motors and with Honda, and earlier this year, we were really excited to bring Microsoft onto the team. Uh, the technology we're developing is called Level 4 or L4 technology which means that the technology will be fully self-driving within a defined geo-fenced area. And it'll be offered in a self-driving car service, which is important. So moving people and goods, not selling individual cars to individual people. Uh, right now, we actively test our cars in San Francisco, which as anyone who's been to the Bay Area knows is one of the most dynamic, complex driving environments in the country. Uh, we're also in Arizona and we're in Michigan but the vast majority, the bulk of our testing is really in the dense urban maze that is San Francisco. Uh, now, prior to COVID, our vehicles were testing on the road 24 seven. Uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, however, we've repurposed a portion of our fleet and have been working in partnership with the SF in Food Bank and with the SF New Deal uh, to deliver meals to, to those in need. Now, many may not realize it, but one in six Americans right now is going hungry. Uh, due to the fallout from the pandemic. Uh, to date, we've made hundreds of thousands of deliveries, 80% of which are to households below the federal poverty line. Now, that's obviously just a small part uh, of what's needed to get our communities the assistance they need and to get moving again. Um, we're really just incredibly humbled to play a small role in that. Um, and I know it's not the, the topic of conversation today, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that because we are all still obviously going through this together in real time. Um, and because our vehicles are not only self-driving, but they're also fully electric and powered by 100% renewable energy, we were also able to reduce 100,000 pounds of CO2 emissions that would have otherwise been put into the air had those deliveries been made by traditional gas-powered vehicles. Um, at our core, we fundamentally believe that the status quo in transportation is broken. It's too unsafe, it's too polluting, and it's too inaccessible. Every single year, nearly 37,000 people die in US roads. That is 100 people a day. That is 700 people a week. The equivalent of two 737s falling from the sky every single week. And today it is accepted as the cost of living in a motorized society. That simply can no longer be true. 
More than 90% of those fatalities are caused by human choice, human error. Think drunk driving, distracted driving, drowsy driving, et cetera. And in addition to that, it's too polluting, right? Transportation is the leading contributor to climate change. Every single year that a gas-powered car truck is on the road, it emits its, it emits its full weight in carbon pollution. It's too unsafe, it's too polluting, and it's too inaccessible. 57 million Americans self-identify as having a disability, and 6 million cite transportation as a core barrier to daily activity. We fundamentally believe that self-driving cars represent a generational opportunity to address these issues. And Cruise, very specifically, is targeting what we see to be the root cause, the human-driven, gas-powered, single-occupant vehicle. That's exactly why what we're building is self-driving, all electric and shared. Now, last January, which feels like a lifetime ago, but is actually only a year ago, uh, we unveiled what we believe to be the future of transportation. We call it the cruise origin. Now, the origin represents an opportunity to redesign mobility from the ground up. Spacious campfire seating for six, vaccine permitting, of course, uh, no human operator controls, no steering wheel, no brake pedals, no driver's seat, just a comfortable cabin to safely and sustainably take you where you want to go. Now, this isn't a concept car, far from it. It's production ready. We're targeting 2022 for initial build, which will be at GM's factory zero in Michigan, where it's already contributing to more than 2000 jobs. And it's going to operate on GM's Ultium battery, which will be the world's first million mile battery. And when you layer in the fact that Cruise powers its fleet with 100% renewable energy and that the origin can seat up to six, you really get a sense of its impact to safety, sustainability, and accessibility. And it's that last pillar that I really want to focus on today because AVs can dramatically improve transportation accessibility. Um, because we're developing fully self-driving vehicles, the passenger will never have to take control of the steering wheel. In fact, as I just mentioned, there is no steering wheel. And that means immediately there is no need to have a driver's license to be able to travel freely. And because we own, operate, and maintain our fleet of vehicles and operate the service, no one will ever be turned away for having a service animal. Now, in the folklore of America, vehicles represent independence, right? It's how we were raised. Well, at least they used to. What we realize now is that sitting in traffic isn't the same thing as being on the open road. And we also know that our system leaves too many people behind. It's just not equitable. By removing the driver and removing barriers to free movement, we can help restore independence and to do so for more people. Now, what I always find remarkable about the origin is that it opens up a whole new discussion now, we, of course, talk a lot about how transformative AV technology will be because the car is driving rather than the person. And that's absolutely true and can't be overstated. But what we're also looking at now is a complete redesign of vehicles themselves. And in some ways, the freedom to design vehicles differently is just as impactful as the fact that they're going to be driverless. And accessibility is core to this conversation. And ACB's voice has been absolutely critical in our journey, both as a partner to us at Cruise and in working with policymakers in DC and around the country. Now, in fact, uh, the very first user experience study that Cruise engaged in 
was done in partnership with ACB and other organizations in the blind and low vision. We started with the question of what doesn't work in ride sharing services today and approached it without assumption. Rather than guess at the answers, we set out to learn to really understand where the gaps exist and how the model of shared vehicles can be made more accessible than it is today. And that's still a lot of what we're working towards. Over the course of weeks and months, we engaged in deep dive conversations, interviews, ride-alongs, and traditional ride-sharing services, and ultimately a day-long co-design session with partners in the community, together with cruise engineers and product specialists, to jointly discuss possible solutions into together co-design approaches that can lead to a more accessible service. Now, we focused on the four pillars of the ride-share experience, pickup, during the ride, it drop off into destination. And together what we found is that seemingly small things that happen today can present remarkably big barriers. For instance, if a driver decides to pick up a passenger in a different location every single time, or parks on the other side of a busy street that the passenger has to then navigate. Even something like finding the vehicle in traffic or knowing where you are within the trip itself or where you're being dropped off. Now, these are things that can be solved for and by replacing the human driver and having vehicle configuration to play with, we can tra make transportation more accessible by solving for variability and building both predictability and customization into the experience. Now, this is an ongoing process. It is absolutely not a one and done. And that's why our partnership with ACB is really so important and why forums like this are really so critical. But I also think it showcases a fundamental truth the transition to an AV future isn't just about the car driving itself. It's about solving persistent problems that have plagued us as a society since we've motorized. Safety, environmental impact, accessibility. And in that context, AV is really an enabler that allows us to innovate in new ways. But right now, as ACB knows very well, there are regulatory and statutory barriers that limit this type of innovation, including in vehicle design. And that's something that we're hoping to work on this year with the administration and Congress. And again, ACB's voice is absolutely critical in this conversation. Now, we've seen efforts to pass federal legislation fail in the last few Congresses, um, but we are optimistic looking forward. Uh, we've seen positive statements by the administration, by the new secretary, by members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. But it will absolutely take a lot of work. And again, that's really where partnership comes in and why organizations like ACB are so important. Because ultimately, this is a conversation about how the technology can work for people. That's what's going to drive this process forward, both on the technological innovation side and public policy side. Um, but let me stop there. Um, I know we have another panelist and obviously want to make, uh, make time for questions. But thank you very much again for having me. Really enjoying this and looking forward to the conversation. David? Whoever's supposed to be taking over might be muted. David, uh, yeah. David Fierkawa, are you muted? Here is screen reader. Do we have David? I don't see anyone by that name on the panelist list. Um, let me go hmm. look on the attendees list real quick. Okay. Yeah, David, if you're out in the attendance, if you are on this call, raise your hand. Might. Hey, Ron, this is Clark. We're seeing David on the panelists. He just needs to unmute. Okay. Oh, you do so see David, him there? Okay. Okay. Yep. So, David, we got you got to unmute. Can we send him an invitation to unmute? Mm hmm. Okay. All right. 
All right. Well, we'll just wait a minute. <clears throat> While we get David unmuted. Oh, we... David, did you? Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I don't know what's happening here. You need help, Linda? Can you hear me? Yes. Um, okay, great. Sorry. Okay, David. Yes. Okay, David. Yeah, you're admitted. I'm sorry. Thank you. All right. Sorry for the uh, technical uh, issue. Um, obviously, when you're blind, uh, sometimes find the mute button is not necessarily the easiest, uh, easiest thing. Uh, my name is David Furukawa, and I'd like to thank uh, Ron and the ACB for uh, inv inviting us to participate on this forum. Um, I'm happy to see that Waymo and Cruz are actively looking at and working on solutions for accessibility. Um, just to start out, what exactly is Foresight Augmented Reality, you, you might ask? Well, we are a um, company that provides accessibility and safety through the use of smart technology, AKA Bluetooth beacon and GPS. We provide basically a um, voice to the physical world, which then um, provides orientation. So when, when Ron mentioned that we were a um, wayfinding company, that's not exactly correct. Um, we provide orientation information that gives you more specific um, descriptive information to provide you with more safety and more cognitive, cognitive um, information. I'm sorry, I'm nervous. Um, but uh, just to give you a little bit of context on how we started, um, as Ron mentioned, I, I'm a retired physician assistant in ophthalmology for over 20 years. And when my vision um, declined to the point where I couldn't see the charts anymore, I retired and uh, was a house dad. And uh, I was walking my then four-year-old son to, uh, to his school and a car ran a stop sign and hit me and hit my guide dog, Simon, and was about to hit my son uh, but my guide dog, Simon, jumped up and pushed my son out of the way of the car, saving his life. Um, but while I was recuperating in the hospital with a broken elbow, broken knee, and a broken foot, uh, a good friend of mine who is a electrical engineer at Vanderbilt came and visited me in the hospital and said, David, we need to figure out a way to provide more orientational information to you so you feel safe and feel uh, more, you know, open to going out into the real world again, because obviously I suffered with a little bit of PTSD uh, the first time I got out of the house after I recuperated. So that's how um, Foresight Augmented Reality was formed as a legacy to uh, my guide dog, Simon, who sacrificed his life. Now, um, the issue of um, autonomous vehicles, I've got a lot of personal um, experience with regard to ride share, as well as having driven myself and then had to give up the car keys, um, using public transportation, um, as well as other modes of transportation. 
some of the challenges that we face, uh, which, you know, aren't always necessarily appreciated, are the fact that those of us that are blind or visually impaired can't necessarily locate the autonomous vehicle or the ride share, aka Uber or Lyft. Um, now, I heard um, George mention about honking the horn. Well, I'm also hearing impaired, which means that it would be very difficult for me to hear a honking horn if we were in a very dense populated area, like say, for instance, a sporting stadium or something where you have numerous vehicles piled all in one. So how do you actually locate the vehicle? Well, that's where we come into play, where we use a small Bluetooth beacon, which would be placed either in the car or outside of the car. And it would act as a homing device or a homing beacon to direct you to the vehicle itself. Now, in addition to that, we would have the ability to provide more descriptive information, which would then give you, you know, the information, say, say what the color of the car is, um, what the license plate number is. But then once you got in the car, we would have the ability to provide safety information. What happens if you're in a car accident? Um, how do you contact EMS? You know, what, what types of, I mean, that, that would require you interfacing with, with the Waymo app or the Cruise app in order to, um, you know, interface with their uh, agent. But one of the issues that we have uh, worked with in the commercial sector is what do you do if you don't have a cell phone or a Wi-Fi connection? Um, as in the case of an emergency uh, disaster situation, um, you know, it, most of the apps and or um, adaptive technologies utilize that type of data connection. But in certain instances, you don't have access to that, that type of, of connection. So I asked the question to George and Eric, how would the car communicate with the network server if there was no data connection? That's where FAR comes into play with beacon technology. Because beacons utilize Bluetooth technology, it doesn't require any sort of data connection. So even in a situation or scenario where there was no data connection, we would still be viable. Additionally, um, we're talking about when you exit the vehicle, how do you get from say the vehicle to your destination? Um, I.e. With, with FAR beacons, we have the ability to not only provide you with homing technology to get to the autonomous vehicle, but also get from the autonomous vehicle to your, your end destination, i.e. where's the door? Where are the emergency exits? Where are the stairwells inside of the, the uh, building, et cetera? So there are a lot of different pitfalls or challenges that haven't yet been addressed. And I'm glad to hear that we've got people like George and Eric here at the table listening so that you know, we can work together as a, as a group or a team in order to really figure out the challenges and remedy the public transportation issue, which those of us that are blind and visually impaired have, uh, you know, we're limited by what we can utilize. 
my uh, my wife once told me that uh, if they ever came out with a uh, um, cure for my eyesight problem, that I could buy any car that I wanted. And my son said, hey, hey, dad, why don't you buy a Tesla? Because those are autonomous. And I was like, well, son, you know, that that's that's science fiction. That's so far ahead in the future. But I'm really happy to hear that there are companies like Waymo and Cruz that could potentially uh, speed up the process of me being able to utilize a vehicle, which would then allow me to get back to work independently without the use or the weight of, say, a ride share or asking a friend or a family member to take me to and from a certain location. So um, I'll let uh, Ron take over. David, thank you so much. Um, I just want to quickly thank Eric and George. Um, excellent presentations, a lot of really interesting information. Uh, we have about four or five minutes left, um, and I'm going to assume that um, that we have some folks with their hands raised for questions. We probably have time for one or two. Um, so uh, who's our moderator? Okay, we certainly do. Charlene. All right. If you could unmute yourself and say where you're from and ask your question. Right. This is Charlene Ornelas from San Diego, California. I wonder how a person who has no vision will find a vehicle if they're in a popular spot, like a football stadium, whatever you're leaving, and there's several cars there. How will you find which one is yours? Not all people who um, use wheelchair can see. So if I'm a person using a wheelchair, one, how will I get that into the vehicle? And two, how I will secure that vehicle, that uh, my chair in the vehicle if there's no driver. Thank you. Thank you. George or Eric, one of you guys want to take that? Sure, Ron. I'm happy to start. So I think, th thank you for the question. I think it's a really, really good question. Wayfinding to the vehicle, as I mentioned, is one of the most critical issues that we need to continue working on. And while the features that we have in place for assistive navigation through Google Maps navigation to the navigation rider support, talking the rider through how to get to the vehicle, that's not always sufficient. And that's where some of these text-based um, support services may be needed for certain riders, for others it may be audio-based. Uh, so it's a combination. In terms of wheelchair access, one of the areas where we really see a need for more work is industry-wide development of vehicles that support wheelchairs. We have an array of OEM partners today that provide the vehicle Waymo uses, but we're building the core technology, not vehicle. And this is, this is one area that we'd like to see more, more development uh, down the line. Today, we accommodate folding wheelchairs in our service platform. And in the vehicle platforms that we have today that include the Chrysler Pacifica vehicle, uh, we, we can accommodate and have tested for folding wheelchair related access for riders who are able to, to get into a vehicle or be assisted into a vehicle. For some of our new platforms coming online, like the Jaguar I-PACE fully electric vehicle, we've actually expanded more space in, in the uh, trunk compartment to make sure there's space for storage, folding wheelchairs. So work continues there, but ultimately more work, as Eric noted initially, on additional types of vehicle platforms and specifically vehicle development for companies developing vehicles. Uh, will be critical for companies like Waymo that are building the driver to be able to utilize those platforms. Eric, do you want to add anything or shall we move to another question? 
I'm, I'm happy to add just briefly, but obviously want to be cognizant of, of, uh, of other questions that may be in queue, but really do want to thank you for, for asking the question. It is a vitally important one. Uh, George touched on a number of, of really important elements, and, and so I won't, I won't uh, repeat them. But I think David also spoke very powerfully to one, uh, one uh, possible solution to, to the challenge that was described. I think at a very core level, the, one of the intrinsic value propositions of AV technology is that of predictability in being able to design solutions from the ground up. So a lot of the challenge that's inherent to, to what was described, um, not only wayfinding, um, but I mean, finding the vehicle wayfinding, um, and then to destination, which David really spoke to. Um, there was a powerful quote that came out of our user experience study, which is the last five feet can feel like a million miles away. Um, these are all challenges that we have the opportunity together and as partners to really work towards um, and really take them in peace and help make progress. Um, so just a remarkably important uh, question and thank you for it. Ron, time for, yep. With ultra wideband beacon technology, um, you know, GPS has an accuracy of about 20 feet, um, whereas our beacon technology has has an accuracy range of about three feet, but now with the ultra wide beacon technology, we're talking about maybe about one foot. So we're that that's where a homing beacon would enable you to actually target exactly to the vehicle itself. Yep, makes perfect sense. And you know, you're being um, David's being modest because uh, FAR is also one of the recipients of a USDOT uh, innovation grant. Uh, semifinalists. So, uh, and you all are working on exactly that question of, you know, how do we make these vehicles, you know, this technology accessible? So there's a lot of work being done by a lot of people. Um, let's take one final question, uh, a quick one. Hey, area code of 407163, you should be on mute. Mine will be very quick. I'd just like to say hi to Dave. Dan and I want to say hi to you, Dave. And what an amazing presentation, all three of you. But it's so good to hear you. So we have a long history <laughs> and I'm excited and I hope I get a card. I can come see you. Mine is going to be a red Mustang, my friend. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Thanks guys. All right. Um, I want to thank again, George and Eric and David for um, spending some time uh, so we could talk about this technology and, you know, and it sounds to me, and I'll just ask this as our close and for us to kind of reflect on as a group is, you know, what can we as, as, as advocates do to support the industry as it does what it needs to do? And it sounds like one of the areas that we need to really lean on is, is, is in the regulatory side is, is in the manufacturing space, because as you all pointed out, you all are developing tech. Um, the, the vehicles also have to, to, to be made to work for this technology. Is that a fair statement? I think partnership is really the secret sauce in, in all of this. And that's true in technology development. That's true, certainly, in vehicle development. It's true in joint advocacy. I mean, that's really what's going to move us forward collectively. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much again, uh, George, Eric, David. Uh, good luck to you. Uh, and I agree with uh, whoever said, I think it was Eric. I hope that uh, soon enough we can have these conversations in person. It'll be uh, really fun. And we are adjourned. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much for your time.